I don't know what I'm going to ask you. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Shinsky. Oh, it's doctor, actually. Oh, doctor? MD? Jewish doctor Yashinsky. Sasha Shinsky, good friend. Welcome to the podcast, Pavelcast episode. Unknown. I forgot the number. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a regular Pavelcast, so not Columbia Reunion. We're back to our regular programming, and we got um, we got an interventional radiologist here with us today. Oh. Um, I, I called him in specifically because I've I've been worried about the coronavirus, so I want this a is Pavelcast special coronavirus edition. Special coverage. Coronavirus. Are we fucked or what? Well, you might be fucked. I don't know. It's uh, we've we've stopped shaking hands at work. Cats and dogs playing together. Things things are going south. I mean, so what's happening in Italy is kind of scary. What I was reading today where they have like the ICU overloaded with patients. It's yeah. kind of breaking the medical system. That's what I heard too, that there's too many people end up needing to be on a ventilator for too long of a period of time. What does a ventilator do? Um, it is essentially a pump that forces air into your lungs um, when you can't breathe for yourself. And why can't you breathe for yourself? Um, I think the, and I don't know all the whatever physiology, but essentially I think the coronavirus causes a pretty bad kind of pneumonia type inflammation of the lungs um, and then um, you just you know because of your illness can't move oxygen across that membrane of the lung and oxygenate your blood so you have to have this machine that gives you a higher amount of oxygen per breath and helps force that air and keep your airways open it has all kinds of special mechanisms that it can improve your ability to um, oxygenate your blood through your lungs yeah okay a lot of words there. Yeah. No, but I get it. So, yeah, I, yeah, I'm a little concerned. I'm trying not to get it, but I'm also like not really stopping my life. No, but you heard that that's a lot of the universities are just canceling uh, in-person university classes. I think remote is huge right now. This is the tipping point for remote. This virus is just going to tip it over. Well, can you imagine, like Washington University is a private university. Maybe they're paying forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year tuition, and suddenly you have to pay that tuition, but you don't even get to see a professor in person. I don't know that I would want to keep paying that money. What am I getting? I mean, you're going to get a degree. So that says you went to Washington University in St. Louis. I guess. If I guess that's what you're paying for, it's very, uh, very... Um, I, well, wait, you care that you can't see the professor in real life? Uh, if they're going to charge me a lot of money, I do. What are you going to do when, if you see him? You're going to like poke him? You're going to, you know, so what are I, you going to do? I want that tactile experience, man. <laughs> I, it's like seeing the movie in the theater or seeing the movie at home on your couch. There's something to be said about seeing it in the theater. You have the experience. Maybe you have a popcorn. I mean, it's you bigger. Know? Yeah, yeah, you have a popcorn. If it's you were bigger. watching the movie on set, that I think it was what you said you want to be on set. Like, it's hard to go on set. Well, what if you paid to go on set and then they put you in a little room? Then I'd be upset. I would be you upset. You would be upset, yeah. yeah. That's all I'm saying. I think I would be upset. UCSD tried this when I was graduating. Um, the general biology class or something like that had too many students to fill the two, 300-person auditorium. So they opened another auditorium and just simulcast it on a screen and had um, teaching assistants 
um, you know, in that auditorium to help answer questions or direct the questions to the other auditorium where the professor actually was. And that made me upset also. Interesting. Uh, what's, what advice are you giving to your parents when it comes um, to the coronavirus? Well, they're kind of twofold. I guess they've already started kind of self-isolating. Like my dad uh, take walks only in the morning and in the evening now. He doesn't um, take walks in midday when uh, there are a lot of other people walking around. Um, okay, then, good. So that's good. But I also have given them the advice to not read so much um, news about the coronavirus because they were getting very excited, very too much excitement. Um, so, are you so concerned? Like, you know, basically wash your hands and. Uh, well, well, I mean, today, a lot of people are going to get it, right? Like, seventy percent of the yeah. people are going to get it eventually. Like, there's no, we can't. There's nothing that's going to stop that. Correct. Chances Correct. are me and you are going to get it. Probably. Definitely me. I mean, I work in like a coronavirus factory. <laughs> Literally, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I actually told that to a patient today. He said, oh, I don't want to come to the hospital for my appointment because I'm worried I'll get coronavirus. And I told him, you know, it's not really a lot of it yet in Missouri. But if you reschedule your appointment for a month from now, there might be a lot. In fact, likely, like it's only going to get worse. Here, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Are they so, are they telling you like how to prepare? We have all kinds of instructions on like how we need to, you know, wear masks and how to put them on. I've been told I have to shave. That's right. Um, so there's all kinds of. You can have a soul patch, I think, right? Or There's actually a official chart from the CDC. I've seen it, yeah. What types of beards are acceptable. And I printed it out and I tacked it up in our office so that everyone knows what beards are acceptable beards. Do you see patients? Uh, yeah. Okay. So let's, uh, let's give people a little bio. So uh, I know you, how we met each other. I met you while I was at my doing my first startup, Simply Request, that and living at UCSD Housing with Minsky. That's right. One of Columbia Reunion and Mark Polinkowski, episode one of the Polocast. So we, you're in good company here. That's I how know. we met. You would, uh, you started, I don't know if I met you your first year of med school or not. but Yeah, I'm, it was my first year. I moved there maybe a month or two before you moved to San Diego. That's right. And we, uh, we just, we had a good time. You, you know, we, we live close to each other. You come over, we watch some TV, et cetera. Yeah, um, exactly. And uh, you, what's your, you have a degree from UC Irvine. What's your bachelor's in? Uh, I, mine is from UCSD. I have my oh, bachelor's shit. in uh, biomedical engineering. That's right. And then you stayed for your, uh, did you That's want right. to be a That's doctor I, since like the very beginning? Uh, I went into college with like doctor versus engineer. I did an internship at a medical device company in engineering research and design. And it kind of wasn't uh, that stimulating for me. So then I pivoted into a uh, medicine. And what have you chosen as your, uh, one of the more engineering related fields of medicine. <laughs> I'm an interventional radiologist. I use catheters and wires and imaging equipment to perform minimally invasive procedures. So you, so most radiologists, they kind of sit in the dark room and they're looking at images and they're writing like what they see, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. And then interventional and, uh, is you're actually, you're, are you operating yourself or you're supporting the, the, the surgeons? I'm doing the procedures myself. Um, you know, 
Uh, all so kinds of stuff. are you like a surgeon more than a radiologist? I guess I don't get it. I guess so. Yeah. Though the things, the the types of holes and incisions I make are pretty tiny, like a little needle and things. I see. And then um, you guide things. Like, what is a popular procedure? Oh, I can give you an example. Do you remember a few years back when Melania Trump went to the hospital with a tumor on her kidney? It was in the news. You know, first lady goes to hospital. I did not know that, but that sounds oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 She had a benign growth of her kidney um, and then had some sort of nebulous procedure to treat it. Um, so what she had is called an angiomyolipoma. It's a benign tumor of the kidney and interventional radiologists treat it you doing uh, embolization, meaning taking a catheter into the artery that goes to that tumor and injecting material to stop the blood flow so that the tumor doesn't bleed. Wow. For instance. And so you're able to do this because what are you using to look? Um, we use a f machine called a fluoroscopy machine or a fluoroscope, which is essentially like a real-time x-ray machine. So it's like constantly taking x-rays, um, seven x-rays a second or 15 x-rays a second, and it makes like a little x-ray video in real time. And it's not that much exposure for the person? Um, it, uh, you know, with modern equipment, it's reasonably low. I mean, it depends on what you're doing and how right. long it takes and how big the person is. And the big, big people, it takes a lot of radiation to see inside of them. Really? Like your like, like muscle mass too, or, or yeah. Yeah. Any density. It's just, you know, any mass, the denser it is, the more radiation gets absorbed by the, the tissue and, the more tissue you have, the you know more radiation you need to get through it and make a picture. Interesting. Yeah. There you go. That's a, that's a that's, big boy job. That's a, it's a real. It's a you real got job. your pants on. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's fun. I mean, I like it. I'm pretty happy. Go to work and do cool, wacky stuff. Do you? What's like? What's coming next? Do you think in this field? Are they constantly pushing the envelope? We're, we, you know, progressively are coming up with new ways to do things that used to require open surgery. We can now do with the wires and the catheters and things. Minimally invasive, go home the same day. That's no crazy. No stitches, nothing. Yeah. There's a lot of things that used to have to have an open surgery that we now can treat. And this, the technique, the floor something technique, the, the x-ray technique, is that the only one that you can use to actually look in real time? Oh, no. We, we use an ultrasound um, okay. to do procedures. You can, you know, just like you can look at a baby, you can look right. inside the belly and find something that needs to be treated. We use the CAT scan machine, um, not quite in real time, but intermittently, like you'll move a needle or do something and then take a CAT scan and move it and take a CAT scan. Um, so those are probably the main things. So some very advanced places, they'll do certain procedures using the MRI. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, just in the same way that we might use a CAT scanner. Let's say there's some abnormality you can only see on the MRI, and then you put a needle into it and take a sample or whatever you need to do. And you'd have to um, use something that's not affected by the magnets, I guess. That's right. Yeah, non non ferromagnetic things so that they don't stick to the magnet. Yeah. Yeah. So all kinds of lots of interesting engineering uh, involved, lots of devices and, uh, you know, make opportunities to make new devices and improve on existing devices. And uh, it's a very dynamic uh, field. Who's the, who are some companies that are doing it? Many Siemens. of the companies, 
Uh, so, so our fluoroscopy machines are made by Siemens. There's about five big um, uh, equipment manufacturers in radiology as a whole, a couple more in Asia that we don't see much of here in the States. So Siemens is one of the top of the line, you know, top best two, three, um, uh, Philips Siemens, um, GE makes really good uh, x-ray equipment is my understanding, though I've never been involved on the procurement side. And then Toshiba and like Hitachi and some other companies make uh, equipment as well, but it's uh, not as common in the United States. Got it. Interesting. But yeah. um, in, I was going to say in the more narrow field of what I do, um, a lot of the device companies are actually in Southern California. Um, for instance, Volcano is in San Diego. They make certain types of imaging equipment, uh, ultrasounds that go inside the arteries and veins. So you can look inside the artery. Um, and uh, up in Orange County, uh, there are a handful of companies that make uh, catheters and stents and special wires and things. EV3 and um, That's cool. a couple of the yeah, Tarumos up there. Yeah. Volcano. Volcano, yes. Interesting name for a company. I have a different volcano made by Storz and Brickle. Oh, I, I, I remember your volcano. I'm throwing a bachelor party in uh, Fort Lauderdale. You are? Uh-huh. Are you getting married? No. My buddy's getting married. To... Oh, your buddy. I thought you were just throwing a bachelor yeah, party. Yeah, I'm just doing it, but I didn't say for, yeah, I'm just throwing one for no one. No, that buddy. sounds fun. That would be almost better. Just have a bachelor party for yourself. I'm still a bachelor. Yeah. Here's my bachelor party. That's not how yeah, life works. Yeah, just invite. Why not invite all your friends? If you called me up and said we're going to Fort Lauderdale, it's because you're not spring. married. If I call my married friends and say <laughs> come to my bachelor party, the wife is gonna say, "Is he getting married?" My friend is gonna say, "No." She's like, "Then you can't go." All right, tell them you're getting married, and then immediately after the bachelor party, all <laughs> oh, sorry, irreconcilable differences. No, 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 irreconcilable differences. Uh, something came up. You were born here, right? Like no, no, I was born in Russia. You were born in Russia. How old were you when you came? Like two. You were very young. Yeah, yeah. Do you moved do to New you, York to Brooklyn? Yeah, so you went to Brooklyn first with your parents, and then to New Jersey for a little bit. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Exactly. And, and then we then... moved to uh, California. Oh my God, the promised land. It, I mean, very lucky. And then somehow I ended up not there in like the murder capital of the United States here. Is St. Louis worse than Baltimore now? Well, wow. oh, I don't, I mean, I, it's probably very close. It's probably very close. What are, what are the top things that you've seen in St. Louis in terms of crime? <laughs> no, I'm just saying anything. Crime, too. Uh, my, fa- my favorite crime, I haven't seen it. Well, the day I moved, Apparently, someone got carjacked on the corner next to my house. Um, wow. But uh, the worst, best crime I've heard of the year, I think it was on New Year's Eve or maybe the day after New Year's, someone was walking in one of the neighborhoods uh, a ways away from me, apparently got robbed, gave the robber his cell phone and his wallet, and then the robber asked for his pants. Oh, my and God. The, and the guy said, no, I don't want to. You know, remember, this is January. It's probably pretty cold. Um, the guy said, no, I don't want to give you my pants. So the robber pistol whipped him and then took his pants. So wow. Imagine you got to give up your pants. So, wow. You got to give up your pants. Imagine how awful that is. Not only do you have no phone to call an Uber, you have no wallet 
to pay for anything and you have no pants and it's very cold. Um, well, it's a what do you well, have you done anything that you like, like any good restaurants or like any? Yeah, there, there's a lot of like gastro pub restaurants. There's some good barbecue restaurants here. There's not enough um, Asian food here, but there's a fantastic Sichuan restaurant that I really like going to, and it has this. Um, they call it like a dry, fried octopus. It's like um, you know how our friend Minsky likes the little baby octopus at that one uh, restaurant in San Diego. South yeah, Beach Bar and Grill. Beach Bar and Grill the, uh, great happy Beach hour. Uh, Monday all day happy hour. Great fryer. Not healthy, but they fry a little octopi. Yes. So uh, this place has like the little octopi tentacles, but they're not breaded. They're just um, fried up with uh, white Sichuan uh, peppercorns, the ones that make your tongue tingle. Yeah. Uh, very good. Very, very good. So that, that might be my favorite restaurant in St. Louis. What's it called? Um, it's called Kate zone kate zone kate zone if you're out there in san louis kate zone kate zone highly recommended um there we have a good arcade bar just walking distance just down the street from me yeah that was siri being a little she wants to get some sichuan food with you Uh, she's a good little virtual assistant (laughs) my my house i have google he's my friend I have everybody here. I have Alexa, oh. OK, Google, and Siri. Now they're all acting up. They don't want to, they want to be disturbed. They're fighting. They're fighting. They were sleeping. They were sleeping. Um, but no, St. Louis has been not bad. Um, I went to some concerts. And part of it has been a little tough. I mean, you know this experience. I don't have a car here, so I'm a little beholden to my friends if I want to get out of my immediate area. Right. I mean, you can take it a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and I actually made the calculation. You know, my car was too old to bring out here. 18-year-old Nissan Altima, 180,000 miles. Um, <laughs> Is this still going? I uh, No. So, I actually – You um, sold we, it? No. Uh, we turned it into the state of California. Uh, the state, if your car is so old that it doesn't pass a smog check, will give you $1,000 to retire it. You take it to a special junkyard, and they give you $1,000. That's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a hot uh, so tip what, right there. I didn't know about that. Is that. You think that's still going on? Probably. Oh, most definitely. It's been going on for years, yeah. And if your car fails smog and you need to repair it, you can also get a grant to help you repair your car. Really? Who's going to give you the grant? California. Because they, just, they care about the environment so much. Correct. And, you know, imagine if you're like a very poor person and you have a car and it's your only means of making money and suddenly the state is saying, well, it's a little smoggy in California. Uh, That's me. I'm a poor person that, you know. Don't you have like a new car? No, I have a, um, I own a Honda Civic 2000 and it's either four or five. Okay. Okay, that's pretty close to my uh, old Altima. It was a 2000 Altima. God bless. Yeah, I mean, it's a great car. But I, you know, I did the math. If you buy a car here and you pay for the insurance and the registration and a parking and, a, you know, this Yeah, it's too much, too much. It's too much. I walk to work. My walk is one block. It's very nice. Nice walk. How many um, hours do you have to put in every week? Oh, it's not as bad as I was expecting. I probably work 
12-ish hours, 12 to 13 hours a day, five days a week. I could work a little less, but I, I don't like work the maximum efficient manner. So I end up staying a little late most days. And some of the guys do the like the guys who do it all at like not the fellowship or like full time. They're also the full timers are also putting in sixty hour weeks. No, maybe a little bit less than that. Maybe a little bit less. They're probably working like fifty hour weeks or something. Is it is it RVU based system? Um, at this institution, it is not. Which means but, the other system is what just whatever. I have a straight. You just have a state. Yeah, exactly. You have a salary and you have some bonus, but the bonus is not RVU based. Interesting. At my old institution, you had a salary, which was standard, but the bonus was RVU based. Hmm. And is this an Epic shop? Are you guys on Epic? We are on Epic. The big boy. We just transitioned to Epic like a year and a half ago here, I think. How do you like it? I mean, I used Epic at my old institution. Um, It's definitely made for coding and billing and not administration of clinical care, but whatever. Do you still have to go inside and like do all that stuff? What do you mean? You know, make notes for patients. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not exceedingly often do I do that that much, but yeah, you know, every day I have to do a little bit here and there. See a couple patients. Are patients reaching out to you directly at all? Do you have any contact uh-huh. via like the Epic MyChart? Um, I don't use Epic MyChart, but I call patients on the phone. I think I could enable Epic MyChart if I wanted to. But, For yourself, um, like so people could send you messages. I guess so. I don't know. Maybe it's you, automatically I mean, that, enabled. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. Like that's not a that's not a frivolous change. I feel like I'm not a frontline soldier, so hopefully not too many people are. Yeah, you're in the you're in the back room. You're like the specialist in the back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, uh, my time is better served doing these weird things that I can do, um, rather than, you know. So that's one of the nice things about this job is you're actually even though I mean obviously you have to do some documentation, you this the this particular role as an interventional radiologist it's lower documentation compared to like an just a general physician gp oh yeah most definitely most definitely well i I guess it's hard to say i I think that the type of documentation i provide is different like i have to make uh reports for every procedure i do of course and um i have to write uh you know interval h and p note for every patient i am about to do a procedure on but the overall you know the 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 work product that i produce that, that provides utility is um, doing like the, the procedures doing the procedure exactly and everything else is for documentation and billing purposes got it yeah i was uh data 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 i am a data 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 pavel i'm a data pavel 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 that's a jingle um well i'm curious like what do you so first of all I mean, I know there's some applications in the... Oh, wait, 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 Pavel. I, I guess you don't know what my research interest has been for the last two years. Tell me about it. I am a published uh, person in the field of uh, machine learning and medical imaging. There you go. This is exactly the field that I want to be talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, 
so what's you know like right now there that's one of the biggest applications is to try to see if, if the machine can detect different things as well as a human radiologist that's right that's right i'm at the forefront you can uh, look me up on google scholar um and you can see a couple of my uh publications a lot more posters and talks that we've given my group and myself so have you like what's what's it looking well i i mean uh, like uh, i mean so i think that um you know at the moment uh, deep learning um uh, is you know pretty much at the you know moving towards being able to perform uh a lot of very specific uh tasks in image interpretation that we can train it to do um we have not really effectively tested it in any uh of the kind of clinical um applications yet you know people will you know take a training set and a test set um you know make their model show a high dice score or what have you uh and then say oh well it's great you know it works but uh, very few uh people have really in a rigor rigorous way applied it in the clinical setting and seeing does it actually work does it actually you know uh appropriately evaluate images from different machines different vendors different patients patients with complex pathologies um and actually a lot of the training sets are you know when you look into the methods of the authors you know they really like uh you know set the bar very low like they'll um crop out all the extraneous data and then say oh well my you know algorithm can detect you know cancer x or y but you can see that you know that's only learning on a small subset that includes almost no extraneous information that it would have to you know also evaluate so i think there's you know especially for complex topics there's still a long lead time and even for easy topics um we don't see a lot of uh you know there's not a lot of movement into clinical evaluation yet that's probably the next step so I want to I want to unpack some of that. So you said you're training these. So it sounds like, I mean, you, we take some issue with how the people are doing. They're sometimes taking a data set that they're limiting noise or just focusing on a specific thing, and it's not really how it would be in a real clinical setting. And that's what they're coming out as with the research. But that being put aside. What are like what are some use cases that people are particularly trying to target? So like you have to build a algorithm specific to I don't know prostate cancer. Does that have to oh, be specific yeah. to What a great what a great topic. It, it's almost as if you looked up my almost uh, <laughs> prostate cancer detection, quantification and characterization with artificial intelligence. That's that's you. So here's um here's an example for you, Pablo. Uh, so right now if god forbid one of your friends or relatives you know was at risk for prostate cancer had some symptoms or had a high blood count um of their PSA they might get sent to evaluate whether they have prostate cancer by having a prostate biopsy where you know they go to the urologist's office and um they have to place a special ultrasound needle system into their rectum to biopsy their prostate in a random fashion to try okay. to find if they might have some prostate that sounds uncomfortable it. yeah it's not it's uncomfortable it's painful you can get infections um blood in the urine um yeah. etc cetera, etc cetera. 
Um, the more modern, you know, approach that a lot of places are doing is to now, especially for difficult cases, maybe they did that biopsy, didn't find cancer, but blood counts are very high, um, or we're very suspicious for a prostate cancer. In any case, um, we might get a, oh, it's a prostate MRI. And when we look at prostate MRI right now, um, then, you know, we are evaluating the gland for uh, tumors on the MRI. Um, and one thing that we were doing at our hospital is um, grading the tumors based on this scoring system called PIRADS, prostate image something something. Um, I don't I don't remember, but it's basically like a grading system to try to guess whether um, a, a finding that we see on the MRI, some smudge, whether it's likely to be cancer or not. Okay. Um, and uh, we have different grades of prediction where a one and two are not cancer or one is uh, definitely not cancer, two is not cancer, three is like very unlikely to be cancer, four and five are more and more likely, five is just, you know, obviously cancer. Um, and That's the, interesting. So because so yeah. you're looking at it and you're, you basically, you, you're, this is, I guess this is something where you're not totally sure. There's a spectrum Correct. of, Correct. interesting, okay. Correct. And so, um, you know, could, uh, the deep, you know, neural network uh, better evaluate these prostate MRIs. Um, and so there's actually a few tasks that we need it to do. So on the prostate MRI, the gland, it's a, it's a nice uh, case for uh, machine image evaluation because the prostate on a prostate MRI takes up probably, um, you know, 60-ish percent of the imaging space and it's at the center of the image. Mm -hmm. um, and the other things surrounding it are not, um, they're pretty static. There's not a lot of motion uh, and there's not a lot going on. There are not a lot of other organs that look like the prostate in that area. So it's actually a very nice case uh, to uh, apply machine learning. Um, there are some things that we, you know, so obviously you could just throw the prostates at it and have it try to segment um, tumors and grade them and try to find them. Um, but actually the approach we took is right now what people are doing is uh, using the MRIs to also guide specific biopsies. So let's say I see a very suspicious tumor. Um, what I would do is I would manually segment the gland and then segment the tumor, give that to the urologist or sometimes some places the radiologist. And then they would overlay that with the live ultrasound when the patient is there um, and biopsy the area where I think the tumor is. Um, and so we could have the machine segment the prostate for us, segment the tumor for us, and then try to guess the uh, grade or how uh, likely it is to be a cancer, or even better, how likely it is to be an aggressive cancer versus a benign cancer based on imaging features. Because there are a lot of prostate cancers that you will die uh, in spite of. You'll, they'll grow so slowly that you'll have, you know, you'll die from something else entirely. Why even treat those? Um, but it's, we don't know the difference yet between those and the very aggressive ones based on MRI. So those are all things that, uh, you know, a deep learning system can do for us. Do you, that a good no, that's, that's a great summary. I mean, I like that example. And so I guess I'm curious, no one knows this, so I know you don't know it either, obviously, but like, you know, do you, do you think that the radiologist can be replaced? in the next 40 years by a machine. 
That's a good question. I think that some of the work that the radiologist does um, will be uh, uh, made more efficient by the uh, you know co computational methods. Let's say. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that there will still be some role for a radiologist, but what will likely happen is a lot of the more um, you know the, a lot of the things that we do that are well. Uh, you know, um, you know that could be easily done by uh, an algorithm. Um, will be kind of well, it will happen. You think eventually, like you'll oh, they yeah. will start doing yeah. it. Oh yeah, I think because so. right now, like you said, we're not even at the stage where we're doing the clinical validation, so to speak. There's very few uh, clinical applications, and in fact, if you look at some of the clinical applications that have existed that were not deep learning based, but were machine learning based. Um, uh, they are not all that widely employed for the best example is um, a nodule detection in breast and um, lung. We're looking for lung nodules, you know, little tiny spots on the lung, which might someday become tumors or might be benign. Um, they can be, you know, a millimeter in size and difficult to see. And an algorithm can very easily, even before the era of deep learning and, um, you know, powerful GPUs, right. Um, could, you know, where, you know, there were algorithms to detect them and would display them to the radiologist for review. But, um, you know, some places you would look at them and other places had it and it would just say, eh, you know, it wouldn't pay that much attention to it. It was an adjunct at best. Um, and it never seemed to really replace the radiologist. And is it because just the value you think wasn't there? The radiologist was going to have to look anyway? Exactly. The radiologist had to look anyway. And it didn't seem like it was definitely telling you anything all that useful. I mean, it found some of these extra nodules, but it wasn't telling you, is this one very, or tried to, but it wasn't very effectively telling you that this one is very suspicious and this one isn't, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, a more advanced, a more modern system will probably identify the most suspicious nodules. It should compare them to a prior and tell you if those have grown or not. Um, is the growth of that nodule, and when I say growth, it should probably start looking in three-dimension volumetric growth and say, has the volume increased a certain percent? Are some imaging features now suspicious of a cancer, or are some imaging features now more suspicious for a non-cancerous lesion, which can happen in the lungs, have some inflammatory uh, thing? So that would be a, a useful tool, but right now we don't have it. That's where things are going to move to. But um, the, the low-hanging fruit is, I think, the tedious things that radiologists would hate or anyone hates to do. They're like very minute detail stuff, looking for lung nodules, uh, evaluating for, you know, breast cancer type things, um, you know, breast nodules and things like that, um, making measurements that are, you know, time consuming, measuring, you know, we do these exams where someone stands next to a ruler and you measure the difference in height of their legs to see if they're having some growth issues or leg length um, imbalance that needs to be surgically corrected. Not hard to do, but are tedious. So those would be, you know, ripe for, you know. Hmm. And that's also something where it's like an exam that has a single focused role. So you don't have to do as much evaluating all the extraneous stuff. Um, what, you know. I, I'm curious on the mechanical level, like how does this work? So I know, you know, PACS, PACS, Mm -hmm. These are big files that you guys are looking at, really high definition. So are you feeding this? Is this like going to the, even when you're doing your research and trying to develop it? I mean, I'm curious what the clinical pipeline is, in theory at least. Oh, 
So, I mean, actually, um, we, we, we talk about that as well, um, at least in some of the presentations we've given. I don't know if that paper discusses it, but um, once you've trained the algorithm, the actual interpretive step, um, just feeding the image to it, is, you know, on the order of like tenths of milliseconds, you know, point, I think, point, oh, maybe five milliseconds. Or it's something very like that. quick is what you mean. Saying. It's very quick. It's very quick. I mean, obviously, if you use a very large data set, like I think the MRIs were something like a gigabyte each or something along those lines, um, it would, that was just one sequence in the MRI. So maybe multiply that by an order of magnitude or something along those lines. Um, so even, you know, 50 milliseconds would not be that long. No, no, no. But is it like, um, is it a Python script? Like, is this, is it, is it in the cloud? Like, where do you actually oh, how, apply it? We, we execute, um, so we had in-house hardware. I see. So we had a um, research uh, workstation, a research server. Um, all the images were taken, were um, de-identified before they were taken off. So the pack, the, the step of transmitting them from the packs to the research hardware involved the de-identification step built in. So there's no identifying right, of course. information. No, we got to protect that PHI. We're very... Got it. Well, so you say um, there's actually some interesting controversies where people argue that you could recursively uh, or I guess re retrospectively I create through machine learning. I forget the, the term for it, but it was very popular at the last conference I went to. But they make the argument that with enough you know, training, you could actually have them a deep learning algorithm uh, create the, the PHI, even though the study may have been de-identified. I don't know what um, where it's finding these features, but, um, you know, some Wait, interesting controversy. The controversy is based on MRI. You can identify who the, who the person is. Uh, supposedly. Yeah. That's crazy maybe talk. it's more theoretical, but uh, yeah, that was, um, something, you know, that is an issue in like recursive learning, I think. Recursive um, learning. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. These are some, and then some, so and this is kind of beyond me cause I, I, I don't, um, do some of this more hypothetical stuff but you know that's the, one of the controversies even if you purposely de-identify the um, uh, input data set could the machine identify some deep features in the data to actually uh, get some PHI uh, information right. it's, it's a very interesting I question. guess it's like more. you know I could see it somehow being able to guess the patient's age you know, like, I don't know. Like, I guess technically that's a protected piece of information, right? Maybe, maybe by looking at, I don't know, maybe they include a timestamp and it looks at like, you know, the timestamp and I don't know what other information is available in there, but somehow they're saying, you know, you could get some patient information that way. Um, Did you guys I, do I Python? Like once you had it on this dedicated research? Yes, group? yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, Python I, and... Um, Bert? Uh, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know what BERT is. What is BERT? I think, I think BERT is a NLP model. So that's not uh, really useful here. It's like a, you know, it's like a network thing. Our network was, um, UNET. We did different variations on UNET, um, which is a CNN, um, for our, for that, that project. And are you yourself doing some of this coding? Um, I took some coursework on it. But ultimately, um, we have some engineers and um, who are who are doing it just because it's so um, time consuming to do it that oh, yeah. uh, you know I, I don't have that free time available to me. 
I, I ultimately, I think with a little bit of coding experience, like I did some uh, Python training um, examples and things like that, making little neural networks and, um, you know, doing all that. It's doable. You can learn it. Yeah. I, oh yeah. No, not, not a problem. But, but what's useful is now I, you know, with that basic understanding of, you know, how, what, what are the mathematical underpinnings, what we're exactly doing, um, how the data needs to be prepared, what data is well suited for, for this application. I think that then, you know, I have um, some, uh, you know, ability to liaison better with yeah, engineers exactly. who are doing it, right? And exactly. that's, that's my utility. I won't have enough time to do better coding than uh, the An uh, actual data scientist. dedicated yeah, developer. Correct, engineer. but, but I, I know how to look at the MRI and what the clinical question is, and what you know is well suited, or uh, you know how I can get the data to you in an appropriate manner, um, so that you can easily solve the question rather than waste time uh, solving questions that no one's asking, or that no one cares about. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, it's been it's been very interesting. It's nice to have some you know you know I came from an engineering background, so it's been really fun having some you know. Uh, getting my hands wet with a little bit of math, and and you've chosen a a profession that the the bot the robots really can't. I don't think they're they're coming for the inter interventional guys. Uh, not quite as quickly. Not quite no, as no, quickly. No, no. I think I think you're pretty safe. There's a uh, there's a robot that does a that does like endovascular. Da Vinci is it the Da Vinci robot? Uh, da Vinci is is a little bit different, but there's some other robot whose name I don't remember where you could sit you know over here and do a procedure out in alaska um but i don't oh, see it for yeah. my job yeah i'm uh, remote baby um i have a couple of segments on the show i don't know if you if you know there's uh there's hot tips uh which basically you gotta give me it could be any hot tip i mean people have said listen to this radio station etc etc you know go see the show eat this food um, i gave you kate zone kate zone was money Kate's um, own. It's Kate? good, but it's St. Louis specific. Let's see if you can St. globalize Louis. it. Also, here's a twist to it. Do you think you can channel a hot tip from your dad? You know, what what would a hot tip from your dad be as well? Ooh, ooh, my dad. Oh, what would a hot tip from my dad be? This is a challenging question. So my dad uh, recently retired. He's living so the life. A, it would be a retired life. retired dad hot tip. Um, uh, I think. A retired dad hot tip. Retired dad really enjoys taking classes at the senior center. Um, and he has, uh, he would very much recommend the personal finance class and to a lesser extent, uh, Spanish language, which he's also taken. <laughs> so those are, my dad wants to learn. Is it free? Language. Is it free? It's free. Oh, it's most definitely free. I don't know. It might be 20 bucks. I don't know. Some, some nominal amount of money. Um, he's, you see, my dad also has lots of hot tips about coronavirus and what to avoid if you're a Russian journalist living in China, which he feels very strongly about. What does that mean? Well, my dad has decided one of his hobbies now is to watch um, Russian people who have YouTube blogs and happen to live in Wuhan and other parts of China talk about their day-to-day -day life and how no one is on the street. And then he calls me and uh, waxes poetic about how this is... <laughs> This, this is happening. Is a, a, this is happening. This is a disaster. Uh, Italy is a complete disaster, apparently. Yeah. Um, so you're you're more you're yeah you're less you're more kind of down to earth. Like you're just taking it in stride. 
what can I do? If it's my time, it's my time, Pavel. I mean, that's how I feel, right? Like, what are we supposed to do? Right. I have nothing I can do. If you, you say, oh, don't touch your face. I touch my face all day. What if my eye is itchy? <laughs> I know. Well, I wake up every morning and my eyes have like gunk in them. How can I get it out? Do you have a, another method? Is there an eye vacuum cleaner? I mean, I think you're okay toy? if you wash your hands at night and you want to play around in the morning. You'll be okay. <laughs> That's what I think too. I mean, who am I exposed to, you know, mm. at least when I'm not at work? <laughs> now, the other, the other thing I was going to ask you is my other, not my other segment, excuse me, is the teleportation transformation machine. So oh, okay. have you, yeah, I don't know if you heard about it. This is very, very hush, hush, like uh, crazy technology. Elon Musk is letting me test it for a little while. He's a good friend. Um, mm-hmm. And basically if you, if you start to tell us about a place, it's as if we're, we're going to be able to teleport there. So and I know you've traveled the world. I mean, any, you can take us anywhere you want right now. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to take you to a, a very nice uh, memory of mine. Um, so about ooh, a year and a half ago, so last, uh, so July 2018 or August 2018, I was in um, Germany, uh, and uh, I was at a very particular bar, um, so to speak, uh, when I found out that I passed my uh, board exams for radiology. So I have a very distinct memory of it. So um, basically, first of all, the place is across the street from the park where the Russian victory uh memorial the memorial of the you know russia soviet union's victory over fascism uh there's a memorial in germany for that oh there's more many memorials but yeah there's a very large memorial in a park in uh berlin of um the soviet uh liberation of germany from fascism wow which is a Russian soldier or Soviet soldier carrying a German girl while trampling <laughs> on a swastika. Is this East or West Berlin? Um, this is, ooh, I think this is in, in East Berlin, but it's, I'm not a hundred percent certain. I would have to look at a map. You would think, right? Because I mean, they're going to, you would think they would have the East Berlin have the Russian statue, but. Well, well, so all of Berlin was initially occupied by the Soviet Union. Oh, okay. And only later did the Allies reach Berlin. Um, Didn't realize that. Yeah. So, in fact, there's a very important Soviet memorial in um, West Berlin, um, in uh, the uh, main park in uh, Berlin um, that the Soviets built. The Trep Tower Park. Uh, is it? I think Trep Tower Park is where the other military um, similar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a smaller one that um, is in uh, here. What's the name of it? Tier Garden. The Tier Garden. That's right. In the Tier Garden, um, there's a Soviet War Memorial as well with a couple T32 tanks. Um, I think it's the memorial to the dead Soviet soldiers um, in wow. the liberation. Yeah. Um, so that park uh, every year on I think maybe Victory Day or Soviet Army Day. I don't remember which day, but um, they would allow the East German of uh, the Soviet troops you know, would lay wreaths and they would get to cross the border into West Germany to lay wreaths at this memorial every year. Um, but so anyway, so the bar that I was at was a um, old children's carnival with like a carousel and uh, bumper cars and little photo booths 
that was converted into a bar. So you could, um, you know, sit under the fairy lights and oh, wow. get a beer and maybe sit on the carousel while it spun around and have your beer or have your beer in a decommissioned bumper car. Uh, <laughs> How big is this place? It was, oh, I, it was not that big. It was maybe, you know, uh, I, I don't know how I can give you a good comparison of how big it was, but it was not, it was not big. It like was, half a football would, field, a quarter of a football field. Gotcha. I would say that it was probably a quarter of a football field Got it. in size. Got it. A quarter of a football field in size. And there were some covered areas where I think that night they were having some sort of like crafts show where people were selling little arts and crafts. Um, and then there was a little concert with a band on the merry-go-round. Um, and I had a little table and they were selling unfiltered Pilsner Urkel beer. Oh, which filtered. Very, That's interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, from the barrel. Yeah. From the uh, barrel, baby. Oh, that, that tastes the, delicious. Yeah, it was very good. And um, yeah, so I was sitting there. It was about dusk. And I decided because I was bored, I had been traveling to Germany alone. And I was a little bored. So I went on my phone. I said, oh, I wonder you know, if the results from my exam were back and I went and it said I passed and I bought myself another beer and it had a good, you know, very, uh, very good memory. That's awesome. You were stoked. Oh yeah. Uh, excellent time. Excellent time. I totally recommend, if not for the coronavirus, I totally recommend going to um, Germany. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, what do you think about traveling right now? Oh, it's a sore subject because I had requested some vacation for May and I don't know what I'm going to do now. Um, I was hoping to go to Europe. That sounds like a bad idea these days. Um, I thought maybe to go instead to Argentina, probably a little bit safer, but it doesn't feel like a great idea to travel at all. Oh, well, I'm like, I'm concerned about being in the plane, right? Because, like, if someone um, on the plane has it, you know, likely you're going to get it. Yeah. And the other thing that I would say is uh, I hear now a lot of the planes are very empty. Um, so. I mean, that's that's good. I like empty planes. It's cheaper that way. <laughs> it's cheaper for you. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm flying to Baltimore in May for my dad's birthday. That's the plan. And then I'm going down to Florida for the. Uh... Your bachelor party. <sighs> Yeah, for Barty's bachelor party, and then I'm back to uh, San Diego with a wedding in June. So, oh, and I also wanted time. to go to Baltimore in June for my grandma's birthday, but I now I'm questioning that. We'll see. Baltimore, Baltimore is a scary city. Uh, Pikesville, yeah. I'm sure, is nice. Yeah, Hopkins, it's it, it can be a little gnarly. Hopkins, yeah, yeah that's I get. I guess when I say Baltimore, I mean Hopkins is the only place. <laughs> the only place I've been in Baltimore where Johns Hopkins and the Greyhound Station. Oh, those are both very bad. A Greyhound Station in Baltimore is not good. The Greyhound Stations everywhere are probably not good. But I think I've been to the Baltimore Greyhound Station three or four times. How, where would you take the bus from? Uh, so I was living in uh, near D.C. in the D.C. suburbs. Um, and I needed to take it to go to interviews in New York and Philadelphia, some other places. So I, you know, I was actually near, I was in Silver Spring, Maryland. What were you doing um, there? Uh, there's a course that many radiologists in the country go to, a month-long course. And I used that time um, in between the courses to go uh, on these interviews. And there's a Greyhound stop in Silver Spring, literally next door to where I was staying. I had rented an Airbnb. And 
rather than go to all the way to DC, which is, you know, like a 15, 20 minute Metro ride um, to catch the Amtrak somewhere, I just started taking Greyhound wherever I needed to go. Okay. It's a, it's That's an interesting. Experience. What's, what's this course called? Um, AIRP. Um, it used to be something armed forces, whatever pathology, but now it's some like radiology pathology uh, course. Crazy um, stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Any qu uh, any questions for me? Oh, question. Oh man, now it feels like a job interview. <laughs> yeah, you got the job, baby. No, no, yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean Pavel Cast. Many people tell me they want they want to know about Pavel, so more about Pavel. So I, I like to end it with you, you know. Oh, oh, interesting, interesting. Um, Pavel, do you ever see yourself moving away from San Diego? Classic Pavel question. I get this question all the time. Really? Oh, I get, I get, I get, I get it. I get it on the, no, 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 not not on the show. I just get it on a regular basis in my life because people are like, oh. you want to move away. Um. And my answer has been, and I think it's still today, I don't want to move. I could see some things making me move, like typical stuff. Um, yeah, sure. Relationship. Like, let's say I'm with somebody, we're in love, and, you know, her job has to move her. I could, I could you know, I'd move with her, right? I would have, you know, I, I like remote, so I, I, my goal is to be remote, so I could move anywhere, really. But deep inside my soul like i just you know and i wouldn't i mean went to la for a year i came back to san diego because to me san diego is a beautiful special place and you know you 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 forget it's only human to forget and to get used to things and not like it as much as we should but still it, it's an amazing place and uh, that's where i you know that's where i enjoy being right now so um I'm going to fight to stay here, basically, is, is where I'm going for. I like it. I like it. Hey, buddy. I really appreciate you taking the time. It was a great podcast. And for the coronavirus listeners, I think our advice, my advice is, you know, wash your hands as much as you can. Keep calm. Carry on. Um, I think the market will probably continue to go down. I think... We will have lockdown level stuff here in the U.S. I think it's unavoidable. Um, I'm bullish on remote, and um, I just want to hope everybody stays healthy. And if you're at high risk, you know, really do your best to not get exposed. It's good. That's my it's advice. Good advice. It's good advice. I'm going to take the opposite tack. I think this is a conspiracy to get Donald <laughs> Trump out of office, and I think that we need to fight it. <laughs> By touching our face as often as possible. And that's the last word. <laughs> Touch your face, uh, but wash your hands. You have to hear first. Uh, thank you very much. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Pavelcast. Uh, all joke aside, you know, the coronavirus thing is a serious situation. Um, so obviously check out the CDC, local county government. Um, I listened to Making Sense with Sam Harris. His latest episode is really... With the epidemiologist out of Hopkins, it's pretty good. Um, stay safe, stay healthy, and as you're home and with plenty of time, listen to more Powellcasts. Recommend it to your friends. Five-star like review. We're going to get through this together. Love and peace to the world. Talk to you guys soon.